Welcome to Too Much Not Enough, a podcast about the obsessions of two very intense people. I'm Darius Kazemi. And I'm Emma Winston. And today we're going to talk to you about early 2000s teen girl websites. Which is one of Emma's topics because she was an early 2000s teen girl with a website. So tell me about the early 2000s and being a teenage girl and having a website. What was your whole intro to this? I was 11 in the year 2000. I was kind of a nerd, but I really, really, really wanted to be cool. Like, I really wanted to be cool. And somehow, and I'm not really sure how. You said it might have been Neopets, right? I think it might have been Neopets that got me started, but I'm not entirely sure. I was definitely very, very into Neopets. Very into Neopets, which I think you said you were not. I was I was too were, old. It passed me by as a as a thing. Because you would have been in 2000, you would have been 16. 16, which is too old for yeah. Neopets. Although I definitely logged into Neopets at least once when I was older than 16. I wonder if my account is still there. Anyway, <laughs> one of the things that's great about Neopets, and I don't know if this is still the case, but everything was very customizable. Like you could have... You'd have like guilds, which were basically like kind of the predecessor of Facebook groups, like interest-based social groups that you would be in with your friends. And you could run like shops where you could sell items that you'd got in, I think it was called Neopia. Pretty sure the world was called Neopia. There were lots of things that you could customize with HTML and CSS. So basically there was like a little sort of internal network of websites within Neopets and a lot of people I know and I think possibly also I was motivated to learn HTML and CSS because of having access to Neopets. I'm not entirely sure but I found the website lissaexplains.com which we will link in the show notes because it still exists in the form it existed in the early 2000s. It's, it's amazing. It looks like the website has not been updated since 2006. I should probably explain what it is because we haven't explained what it is. It's it's um, HTML and CSS help and advice for kids. So it like, teaches you how to build absolutely hideous websites using methods which are presumably extremely outdated by now. Blink. Blink, blink. Except that I... So I never use Blink because I think it... Didn't it only work in Netscape? Blink, yeah, it yes, that that is, I believe, correct. It was not an Internet Explorer. Tag. So if yeah, if you surrounded a, an an image or a word or whatever with with two tags saying Blink in pointy brackets, if you were using Netscape, that thing would blink. But Netscape didn't support anything else, so we all discouraged people with Netscape from looking at our websites. I love the anti-Netscape badges you showed me. We all spoke about Netscape as if it was the devil, even though I don't think I knew anyone who actually used it. Like, everybody I knew just used Internet Maybe that's the gender divide, because I was an avid Netscape user. Some of these things that were cool then are coming back now. I mean, the whole thing is pretty vaporwave. It is, yeah. I think that's what I'm thinking of. It's, yeah, it's vaporwave before people were self-aware. Right just to like give some context here. So these sites are like personal homepages for these different girls. These aren't necessarily fan sites. There might have been some fan stuff on them, but these are like homepages, like welcome to yeah. my page. So yeah, this was like this was like what you would do post Neopets, I guess, would be you would you would find some kind of 
web hosting somewhere, which might be like on someone else's paid space, or it might be on like a free web host. I was not cool enough to be hosted by someone else. So mine were always on like GeoCities or AngelFire or Tripod. The coolest of the cool were the girls who could beg their parents for a credit card to get a top level domain. Yeah. So they were the coolest of the cool, but like we were 11, 12 at this time. Yeah. And so at our level, what you had to do was prove that you were like a really elite web designer and send them like examples of things that you'd built and then be like, will you host me? And if you were good enough at HTML, then they would host you. Amazing. And I only knew one person who was hosted, who was my friend Sophie, who managed to dig out a bunch of old websites from the Wayback Machine. For right. She's the this one podcast. who remembered all these URLs so, for you, right? Yeah. So she is still she is still elite <laughs> yeah. in, in that respect. She's also now a web developer. Right. You were saying <laughs> that a lot of these girls are now women who are web developers, right? Yeah. So I had some friends who I met through this online, but my kind of core group of people who I knew who were doing this stuff were my friends from school who were also cool nerds who would go to the computer room at lunchtime and just build websites. And I can't remember which of us started doing it first, but it was kind of a thing that we bonded over and we would be like comparing our layouts with each other in, in real life. And so it became this odd kind of like I almost think of it as being like a crafting hobby that I was doing with other people. Who oh, yeah, that's flying. really interesting. Yeah, so like a knitting circle, but for websites. Yeah, except if you'd said that to us, we would probably have all been, well, I wouldn't have been horrified, but probably most of my friends would have been. Well, yeah, because knitting circles aren't also cool like, or lead, and you were trying to be both. I was, in fact, knitting at the same time. Yeah, but also if I said anything to a 12-year-old girl, I imagine she would be horrified, so... I mean, maybe. I could be like, hello. <laughs> and she would be like, ah, horrible. She'd be like, why are you even talking to me? And yeah. then she would write about it in her blog <laughs> and be like, this 35-year-old man talked to me. Yeah, exactly. And he had a beard. Yeah. And he smelled like America. <laughs> yes, precisely. And it was disgusting. That is, listeners, then, that is like, exactly what I smell like. So it was personal web pages and it was, so it was basically what you might expect from a young teenage girl essentially like complaining yeah. about like being sad and then complaining about being horny right yeah yeah it was like tumblr before tumblr but yeah very tumblr it was mainly either hand coded in html and css or using software like gray matter very simple sort of pearl blocking yeah. software and the, you would have kind of you'd have so this was another thing I'd forgotten about. All the sites had three sections, which were me, you, and www. And me would be an about page uh -huh. where you would list all of the things you liked, like all of them. Yeah. Like yeah, thousands like, yeah, like of your, Like sometimes. your profile page on Facebook used to be or whatever, where you just list all your favorite yes. bands and all your favorite books. and yeah. yeah, exactly like that. And all the things that you hated. But interesting because it's mm -hmm. free form, right? Like this is just yes. free HTML. Yeah. This isn't like a web, a social media site. Yeah. The you section, I think, was like, I think that was where the guest book went. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Which, and people don't have guest books anymore. I had a guest book Why don't for they a have while. guest books anymore? I think I might get a guest book. Guest books are great. They're, well, <laughs> they are great. well, they were. Now it's just kind of like having a comments section. But well, like, it's kind of like, like a comment section for the whole website. That's sort right. of exactly what it is. But I don't know. It's just kind of nice. Just like, 
sort of a little bit like email, but email that everyone can see. Right. Sort of like a curious cat. Yeah, actually, Curious Cat is kind of a lot like a guest book in, in, in yeah, its format. It kind of is, actually, isn't it? Huh, interesting. We're just reinventing the guest book over and over. That's, really that's the story of technology. <laughs> We're reinventing the guest book over and over. And the WWW section was where people would, you would enter, like, all of the things that you had used, like, all of where, like, the Photoshop brushes that you used in the header had come from, and the exact, like plugins that you'd use for the blog system and like where the graphics had come from. Oh, so that was like your, your um oh what's the what's the word for that? It's the it's the colophon in at the end of a book where they oh, talk yeah, about how it's yeah, typeset. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was and for some reason that was like that was cool. I can't believe I remember the word colophon. Good job me. It's a good word. It's an excellent word. Oh the other thing was we always refer to it as coding layouts, and I have decided that I'm gonna revert to calling all web development coding layouts. Yeah, awesome. The layouts themselves were often quite elaborate and were always put together using tables. Oh, yeah, well, tables. Well, initially tables. And then and then sometimes we would use frames later on when we found out that frames existed. Uh, may I, may I jump in and describe, what, can I describe what tables and frames are? Well, so, so tables are still used, but they're used for their initial purpose, which was a table you might find in a book where it, where it has a table of data. You know, 10 rows, three columns, and one of the columns says the year, and one of the columns is like average annual rainfall, uh, that sort of thing. So if you go on like Wikipedia and you look up like statistics, you'll often find them laid out in a table, which is what... I did not know until you told me this, that that was the original purpose <laughs> Right, because of you learned them as a layout as thing. As ways of, of making your website yeah. look cool. So basically, and- if, you, if you have a table and you make the borders invisible then you have a grid on which you can put different kinds of elements. And if you put tables inside tables, you can get very complicated layouts. After it became not acceptable to use tables for that purpose, there was kind of a period of a few years at least where there wasn't really a great alternative. Yeah, there was like a transition from HTML tables to sort of to CSS div box layouts but well but that but was like even there was like a period of time where flexbox which is probably the closest thing now and also like css grids i mean fle- flexbox and css supported. grids are only a few years old they're only like five yeah, six I years mean, old when i yeah. was when i was working as a web developer which was between like 2013 and 2015 16 ish i didn't use flexbox or grids because they just weren't widely right. supported enough i knew people who did and who used like Ships or whatever they're called to yes. make them work yeah. But, yeah, more people widely, just do, but I just didn't do that. Yeah, but like for a long time after tables, it was just sort of like, well, here's here's divs and here's the CSS rules around floating boxes and like, good luck. Which was much more difficult than Horrible. using tables ever was. Yeah, yes. <laughs> anyway, back to the Teen Girl websites. Yeah, everything was tiny. That was something I'd kind of forgotten oh, until that's right. I started looking. Right, everything up. was like a few hundred pixels in width, which, I mean, you know, part of it is like your whole screen was only like 640 by 480 pixels. But but even... <laughs> Just such a weird thought. <laughs> <laughs> but, even, but even then, the websites were smaller than usual. Uh, and, and they used like tiny pixel fonts tiny, like you'd find fonts. on a Game Boy Advance. 
tiny fonts, spaced out tiny fonts to make them even harder to read. Right, so they're kind of monospace looking. Yeah. I noticed very, also... Very, very little difference in color contrast between uh, foreground and background. I noticed a lot that. of uh, beveled edges and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, you mentioned this and that had not occurred it's to that me. Like, and... It's that like tech aesthetic. Even though it's like pink tech, it's still tech. Like I was looking at some of yeah. my favorite websites from 2000, 2001, and they actually used a lot of the same like layout type stuff, beveled edges and pixel fonts and that sort of thing. They just used, you know, like orange and gray instead yeah, of pink. I was really and, surprised and, at the you know, one that you sent else. me. I can't remember what what was it was Ojuice Ojuice dot net, which was like a which is like a techno music kind of uh, uh, community. And it looked exactly like a teen girl website, but, but orange. Yeah, just a different and just without different colors. like animated blinking. Yeah, less yeah less animation and, and different colors. But uh, yeah, that's basically that's all that's you need really to make something different. to change. That's all you need to change a gender is just change the animations yeah. and different colors. That's it. That's what it is, right? That's what gender is. Oh yeah, tell me about like Blinkies and Adoptables. <sighs> I want Blinkies to come back. Blinkies are amazing. Blinkies are basically just it's just a subset of it's a very particular type of animated GIF where you have like a series of blocks with letters in them that are animated in some way to spell out a thing, usually your name or a thing that you like, like a neon sign in a shop. Yeah, but cuter. But in a very particular style and very tiny, extremely tiny. Yeah. And you would have you'd have those in your sidebar and you would also have like tiny animated animals in hideous colours, like a little fishbowl where the fish would like swim around the bowl and then jump out sometimes, or like a little dragon. Oh, so kind like of like those little and then... kind of like the little under construction gifts that you would see on websites, but like but like they're on purpose like that, for but, yeah, and, and collectible. Like, and small. Yeah. Really small. Very, very and really small. adorable. Yeah. And like super kawaii. And they were referred to as adoptables. That seems really similar to Neopets to me. Yeah, I want actually. Now you say that, that's really interesting. There's like this real. We're like two or three years too old for Neopets, but we still have little pets in our. I don't know. I think a lot of them were people who were still doing Neopets. It's like a way of of like collecting and adopting and showing things off well, in like a freeform space. Well, and this eventually became part of the centralized platforms. I was working in online games when Facebook games were really big. And a lot of these Facebook games involved like sort of Pokemon style collection mechanics. And you would collect these little images. They were usually static, I think, cause, but, uh, but you would put them on your profile. Like I collected these things, sort of like trophies. Ian Bogost calls it, he wrote an essay about the practice and called it um, like digital kitsch. Ah, interesting. Where like the, it's the equivalent of like the shelf in your grandmother's house that has a bunch of porcelain dolls. Oh. Can you list off some of the great top level domains that were around? Yes. So this was a very important thing was having a cool domain, which I, I didn't really have. I had one cool domain. But you had to, like, to have your own top-level domain, you had to, like, either have a credit card or, like, steal your parents' credit card. And I wasn't, like, cool or badass enough to do that. So I I just had, like, my website on Brinkster or X, X Pages was terrible. It was the absolute worst. I, I remember X Pages, it. actually, yeah. It was, it was rubbish. It was, like, you could only have one page. So I, ha at one point, had a website on X Pages that was made up of, like, four different X pages accounts, which oh, is ludicrous. Right. <laughs> it's like just use a different web yeah, page. Just so, you could have, just so you could have a different <laughs> yeah, .html. Exactly, yeah. exactly. 
there but there were also there were a couple of like free domain services i don't know how they worked there was like the .tk domain was free at one point oh that's right yeah and there was also the .net.tf domain which like the only website of mine that i've managed to dig up was one that was under a .net.tf domain and i felt like just i was like the shit once i had one of those because i could finally be aesthetic but everybody had very aesthetic domains and i i compiled a list from the live journal old schoolers that's the name of the live journal which is basically people from this subculture trying to find each other like 10 years later live journal by the way starting to blossom at the exact same time as all this stuff too but through a centralized service it's really interesting anyway tell me about these top level domains i have compiled this list of representative domains so we have apathy.new NU, which was like, that was the coolest top level domain to have because it was new, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we have sweet-essence.net. We have cosmic-cherry.org. December-rain.org. Partly-cloudy.org. Glitter-rain.net. Heartsick.org. Riotstar.net. And cherrysoda.new. And all of those were like so cool that like if... If I had been hosted on any of those, I would probably, like, my heart would have just exploded from joy. The only reason I'm still here is that I wasn't hosted on any of those domains. And I think the thing that I love about them is, like, how teenage girl they are. Right. There was no attempt to be seen as less of a teenage girl than you were. I was surprised when you mentioned all these domains because they have hyphens in them because I forgot you could put hyphens in a domain. And Wait, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you can, but I think nobody does it anymore, partly because for a long time it caused your SEO to get lower on Google. Like that was one of the oh, things really? that they looked at. Like they, Google sort of assumed yeah. that if you had hyphens in your domain name, you were a spammer. I wonder what the rationale was behind doing it there. I mean, I'm guessing it was probably just that other teenage girls were doing it. Well, I think maybe it's just those were the domains that were available. You know, like you couldn't get DecemberRain.org, but you could get December-Rain.org. I mean, that's why spammers used it, was so that they could be like pay-pal.com, right? Oh, oh God. <laughs> but also, I guess, there was some element of of not wanting to be found, or wanting to be found through, like, web rings, which were a thing that I haven't mentioned. Like, you could join, like, groups and kind of clicks of other girls who were doing this stuff but you didn't you didn't want like your parents to know about it or like the the girl who sat next to you in English class to know about it like it was sort of a secret thing yeah it was like having an alt on a social media network but also an alt that you really wanted people that you didn't already know to see or like other people within the same culture like it was it was good if they saw it but it wasn't good if like girls who didn't understand saw it or if boys saw it that was bad it's a public space, but it's a closed public space. Right. And so kind of whether Google can find you almost becomes immaterial. Like if you're in a web ring, but Google can't find you, that's the ideal scenario. Well, as and a 1990s young, young teenagers still do this. I know a 13-year-old boy who makes a lot of content on the internet, but does it entirely through Google Docs and Google Slides, and then just shares the links with his friends and they pass the links around. So it's not... It's not indexable, it's not like findable, but if you have the link and you know the right person, you know, it's the, it's as good as a website it's at that so point. Brilliant. It's such a good idea. It's like a peer to a literal peer to peer website. Yeah. 
that you can just send to people never occurred to me what a smart thing to do yeah it's great I didn't, I still haven't talked about all of the aesthetic things. Let's go back to some of the aesthetics. Yeah, very important was uh, dynamic HTML, which... DHTML, hell yeah. My, like, my understanding of what dynamic HTML means is just horribly abused JavaScript. Yes, that is correct. Basically. Yes. Like, I made a list of the things I could remember, which included sparkle cursor trails, so you move the mouse around the screen and, like, stars follow it. I got paid to make a website with a sparkle cursor trail for Pixie Geldof in like <laughs> 2014. It was the coolest job I've ever had. Like I had to try and figure out how to do all of these things, but for modern browsers, it was yeah. so good. It was for a business that lasted yep. about five seconds and the website's gone now. But anyway, I also at one point, and I can't remember what website this was on, I had a cursor trail that was like an analog clock made up of numbers that like when you pulled the cursor the numbers would all like collapse and follow it oh. and when you stopped the cursor they would form themselves into a circle and there was like a hand that would go around the analog clock that's super, super cool. annoying like basically unusable oh yeah but yeah i thought it was brilliant and we had like custom colored scroll bars we would like make the scroll bar really small and have like really tiny arrows on it and like little outlines. Yep, I remember those. And yeah, just to make it less usable, which right. I don't think it's possible to do that anymore. And that was stuff that Netscape didn't support, but Internet Explorer uh, definitely did. That was why we hated Netscape, yeah. I guess. Had like little fireworks that went off when you clicked. Yep, I definitely had some Replace of that Replace the mouse too. cursor with like a crosshair or like an animated palm tree or something. Yeah, I loved um, buttons that animate when you hover over them. I was I was really into that. So let's talk about participatory culture since we have like a mm. few minutes. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting about all of this to me now, like beyond the kind of nostalgia of it. And on some level it looked great. And I wish the internet still looked like that, that like it kind of was a predecessor to social networking, but in which the social networks were created by the people who were members of them, because it sort of was like, there's, I think a lot of emphasis now in research on social networks about the kind of content that's independently created within them. And I don't think that's a new thing. I think the only thing that's changed is that it's happening within platforms that aren't built by the same people as the people creating the content. The really interesting thing to me about all of this is that I was only vaguely, if at all, aware of any of this stuff happening on the internet, which it sounds like was by design when you were talking about how yep, it's sort that was of like exactly semi-hidden. On the one hand, there were like independently developed aesthetics and things that kind of ended up being the same anyway, just, you know, orange instead of pink or whatever. It, it was interesting to me because like, to me, making websites was something that guys did and to you making websites was something that girls did. Yeah, I knew absolutely no guys who made websites. Like, to me, it was... It like it didn't feel like a kind of gendered rebellion. It didn't feel like it was a masculinized pursuit that we were doing anyway. It was a thing that a particular type of girl did. Yeah. Like as much as we were interested in the kind of tech behind it to the point that we had a page on the website like listing all the things that we'd done to make it, it was also like it was equally important that we would list all of the friends that we would mention on the blog. Yeah. 
like you would have like a cast section and you would have a tech section and those things were equally important it was a way of sharing personal thoughts with your friends in a customizable environment and boys websites were the same you know we yeah. we would have we would also list our tech out and we would link to our friends and that sort of thing i mean we did it even with friends who didn't have websites I had like, there's a section on my about page that's, I think maybe there's even, I think I had a separate like the cast section where I listed like all of the people that I mentioned regularly in the blog and explained who they were. Oh yeah. Okay. So that people would have context. Yeah. Which is such a kind of, it's such a teenage girl thing to do. And we were all doing it. I mean, and that was as natural as being like, I use grey matter and my Photoshop brushes are from this place. I mean, I, I also remember very distinctly that in 2005, which is when I started my first actual blog, I've been making websites before that, but 2005 was when I signed up for Blogspot and decided to actually have a journal. The really interesting thing is, at least in 2005, blogging was still seen as this incredibly feminine activity it was and, yeah. and like specifically young feminine it was like four moody teenage girls who just had to you know you know were attention seeking and all that sort of stuff it had these kind of like negative connotations in tech circles why would you want to blog you're not 13 um <laughs> and then a few years later it was like oh why don't you have a blog you're an yeah. internet professional you should have all internet professionals should have a blog where i was getting to with this was that in terms of like subcultural studies this aligns quite nicely with kind of early to mid sort of subcultural studies in terms of like gender um because at the beginning of subcultural studies in like the 60s i guess um basically all research on subcultures was focusing on like young white men who were in their late teens because they were the ones who were kind of they were like the mods and rockers who were kind right. of available to researchers like being at concerts and being out on the street and being kind of available to interview and in 1975 there was this paper published by Angela McRobbie and Jenny Garber which suggested that actually girls were just as active in subcultures as their male counterparts were but that they were doing it all from kind of within the home. It was like a bedroom pursuit for them, which kind of fits quite nicely with my experience of... Yeah, your non-discoverable network of websites. It was very much a multimedia subculture, and it was it was very kind of rich and expressive and interesting, but it was happening from within a very kind of domestic space. Yeah. I think I think you're when you referred to it as kind of like a craft circle that was like really uh I, I think that metaphor really holds. I mean that was what it felt like for me. Like it was just it was another thing that I did like origami. It was suddenly like a craft that I could do that had an actual community of people attached to it, which I think was part of the reason it was so exciting to me at the time. That's another really interesting feature of these networks is they're networks of people where the ratio of pure consumer to participator is uh, it's a low ratio. So like there's a, a huge percentage of the people who are consuming this stuff are also creating it. I mean, you kind of to be within the network of 
you know, teen girl website owners, you had to have a website, otherwise you couldn't communicate with each other. Right. I mean, I imagine there the were some that, lurkers, but that's was probably. I'm a, sure there were, yeah, but, but we didn't we didn't know about them and we couldn't communicate with them because of the way that communication worked via like guest books and stuff. Yeah. Like you would occasionally get a message from someone who didn't have their own website, but very rarely and you yeah. wouldn't be able to talk back to them. Right. Because the communication was like one way. Mm-hmm. They had to have a website for you to be able to message them back. And so it ends up being this kind of weird it's almost like a fandom. It's the only kind of fandom that I've ever been in where the people creating the content are also the fans of the content and the content that they're creating is the medium through which they express the fandom for the content. (laughs) It's like, how well can you express how much you like people expressing how well they express things? Exactly. Exactly that. That's what it is. There we go. Yeah correct wow we've, well that we've summed it up that sounds we've like both it. too much and not enough it does it does <laughs> i mean honestly i think i, I just th- i just think it was not enough i think we should do this again thank you so much for listening to us talk about nature's social media this has been too much not enough i'm emma winston you can find me on mastodon at friend.camp forward slash at deerful that's deer like the animal f-u-l or at dear underscore full on Twitter, or at emmawinston.me. And I'm Darius Kazemi. You can find me on Mastodon at friend.camp slash at Darius, or on tinysubversions.com. 